all of your nightmares coming true. Roll out, pull up, stand up, Bay Area. None of my people are scared of ya. I cause a mass hysteria. So, this is my first podcast, my first episode, so this isn't going to be your traditional wrestling podcast, so I'm not going to ask my guests how they got started and all that yada yada stuff, because we can look on Wikipedia to find all that, right? So, uh, man, should, should we get started? Come on, it's like first episode is being recorded. You guys are dead. Wake your ass up. Come on. Should we get started? There we go. So now let's uh let's bring out the man of the hour, Brian Danielson. Y'all better be loud. Seriously. This is the man right here. What's going on? How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys? How are you guys? You guys the question. Man. So first of all, I want to thank you for being here, coming out here, helping me and being my first guest on the, the Power Hour with Will Hobbs. Mm, exciting. It is, it is. So I was explaining to the audience that this isn't your traditional wrestling podcast. We're not going to talk about how you got started and, you know, whose head you're going to take off next. Mm-hmm. No. But uh, what I do want to ask you is, what have you been been up to? You know, you know, you had a surgery. What's going on with you? So I've been doing a lot of fathering. I don't know if you guys know about fathering. Fathering is uh, right hands up, hands up, hands up. There we go. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, time time off from wrestling is hard because I love wrestling. But it's good because I get to spend time with my kids, and especially like during summertime when they're off from school, I get to take my son on hikes. I have to try to avoid because our son, he's three, and three-year-old boys can be wild. And trying to avoid him jumping on my arm has been a big struggle. Yeah, they have no concept. I remember when I when I shattered my thumb, my son Bam Bam was, I think, a son Bam Bam is. Definitely going to do something to you. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a big Flintstones buff. I love the Flintstones. And he got his name Bam Bam, so he'll be kicking and twirling all in his mom's stomach. But when I shattered my thumb, I had surgery. It was, he was actually one and a half. It was so hard to change the diaper. Oh, and he would just jump on me and all types of stuff. Uh, so, not to get too descriptive, but because I'm right-handed, not that I wear a diaper, but doing my own cleanup was a little bit challenging as well. <laughs> we take, like, I didn't know how important having a thumb was. Like, I couldn't... You didn't think about that? I mean, it's like, I mean... Have any of you thought about that? I mean, the reason, the reason why the human species is successful, that we like to account it to our brains, but that's not it at all. We, it's because we have an opposable digit and the brain. So we have the brain. If we didn't have an opposable digit, we wouldn't be able to make the tools that we do. So we'd still be doing this. The thing I love about him is I'm always learning something. 
Like, I, I kid you not. I'm always learning. Okay, so don't take this as learning. Because the things that I say, they sound good if you don't know what you're talking about. Because I'm big. I love science. But I'm not a scientist. Which means I'm big on pseudoscience. I don't know the difference between what's real and what's not. And I read a lot. And I have no... There's no... If you're not in like a college class or something like that and you're just reading random books, which is what I do, I love reading. So anything that interests me, oh, this looks interesting, I'll read it. And you read it, but you don't know if like, oh, is this, is this real? So I can make arguments for a lot of things like what I just did. And it sounds good. Like, oh, yeah, I would, I would, human, human species wouldn't be successful without thumbs. And... It might not be true. <laughs> you guys believed it, right? Okay. Well, it sounded. I think everybody was nodding until I brought up that it's that I don't ha I don't I don't know anything about real science. I'm a I'm big in, I'm a big pseudoscience guy. hundred <laughs> percent. So recovering from the surgery, spending time home with your kids. I know how that is. Um, what's been What's been the, the what am, what am I thinking about? Is that what you're asking? I'm like, What's going on in my head? So the transition from being on the road mm -hmm. and being at home, being super dad, what I like to call it, how did you pick it up quick? Was it? Yeah, I mean, I've had experiences like this before. This was actually easier last summer. Uh, I seem to get summers off for bad reasons. Last summer I was off because I had gotten a concussion. This, this although more painful, is way easier to navigate fathering with a broken arm versus having symptoms from concussions. You're constantly like dizzy, like that sort of thing. So, you know, and I tolerate pain very well. So it's not, um, so the discomfort of it wasn't a thing. It was really just nice to be at home with my kids and my wife. And like, that's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely life now. What is going on inside my head? Those are different things, because you still thinking about wrestling. Yes, but also like societal structures and things like that. And like, is this society that we're building is it serving us anymore? Like those sorts of things. And how our son is, like I said, our son is wild. He's in like a. Uh, he was in like a preschool-ish and it's not that he got I'm not gonna say he got kicked out of preschool but he's 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 learning some of dad's moves uh, yeah I mean he's just a little disruptive and so it's like okay uh, our educational system even in like preschools type stuff it's built for this specific type of kid and anybody outside that type of kid is labeled a bad kid because they can't fit in with this thing, but an energetic, wild three-year-old boy a hundred years ago on a farm would have been considered a great thing. You have this, you know, strong, what, oh, he has all this energy. By the time he's five and six, he's actually doing some of the doing some of the work all that sort of thing so it's it's navigating current current societal structures and finding a place for him that embrace 
what he is now and who he is as a person now without making him feel bad about this. I mean, energy is a good thing, right? Like, I and as somebody, I was a child who was very docile and very easy. I fit in well with society, so I never felt that the not that I never felt like an outcast, but I never felt the outcast of being like, okay, high energy. Oh, you can't sit still in a classroom for six hours as a seven-year-old. What is wrong with you? I never, I never got that. And when kids get that, and then their parents are told that something is wrong with them, and then the kid feels that there's something wrong with them. I think that has a whole host of down-the-line effects on individuals. And so those are the things that I've been thinking about. <laughs> Sorry, we got a little off topic as far as, yeah. I, I, so when I go, I have a 17-year-old who's a monster. He's 6'8", 245. And when I have to go to these, like, back-to-school nights and parent-teacher conferences and, like, sitting down, I get nervous and just energy. What, is, what do they say? Does he, do they say bad things? No, they're just like, well, you know, Julian gets a little distracted. Like my, all three of my kids like have insane amounts of energy, and they just have to keep moving. But it's like they're teens, and that's good. Is that not good? Is it not good for a seventeen-year-old to have a seventeen-year-old who's that big and that strong, who has that much energy? That is good. Yeah, because I, I, I tell, we want to cultivate that energy. We want him to be like. Not everybody's meant to be academics. Yes. And I love reading. I love reading a lot. And I acknowledge that as somebody who's, who loves sitting down to a nice book and doing all that kind of stuff, there is so much value in that. And I hope that he's getting some lessons from somebody or some messaging that, like, hey, this thing that they might say is hard for you in school is actually a good thing. And this oh, yeah. is something he, you want yeah, to cultivate. He has a great support system. And I, and I look at him, I'm like, all right, well, get off the couch, go do something. Go, <laughs> go do something. Like, yeah. But I do want to ask you a little to go off topic. What is your favorite song? My favorite song? That will just get, uh, you, that will just get your energy going. I was a flower growing wild and free. All I'd want is you to be my sweet honeybee. Uh, and mostly because, uh, like, I like songs that I can sing with my kids. Okay. Like, that's the, I mean, I have songs that are like, this is my youth and it reminds me of this, or songs that are like, okay, uh, there's this singer named Will Varley who has a song called Seize the Night. Most people might not think of it as like a workout song, but I like it, you know, when I'm, um, uh, when I'm up, like on the treadmill or something like that, but most of the songs that I that I love are. Uh, so that song was by Barry Lewis Polisar, uh, and I like fun songs that I can sing with my kids. It's like um, that's that's my jam, and it, and songs I don't need. I used to listen to a lot of songs that would, if you listen to them, my wife was like, "Why do you listen to so many depressing songs?" And I'm like, "Oh." Do I listen to depressing songs because I've experienced depression and I relate to them? Or do I experience depression because I'm always listening to these depressing songs? And I don't know what comes first. But, uh, but one of the things that I love now is singing these 
great songs with my kids that are not like traditional kids song like the wheels on the bus go round and round which is also fun if you have kids it's like the they like the hand motions and the itsy bitsy spiders and all that kind of stuff but i like the my my two younger kids are hung up on whoop there it is <gasps> So they are this, hung up on that. This might be bad parenting. Uh, during Christmas, one of the stores by our house, they were hanging up uh, snowball things on the thing, and I don't know why I started. And my kids will sing this uh, even now. You know, we're well away from Christmas. And they say, but I taught them this song. From the windows oh, yeah. to the walls, <laughs> we're hanging up snowballs. We're hanging up snowballs. <laughs> I like that. I like and, that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, so I also taught, and I don't even remember what song this is from, but uh, they like to do, let's stop, and then drop, and do the booty wop, and then they, <laughs> they shake their butts. So that's, like, that's part of like the... Being a parent, it's just everything is unexpected and just you can be goofy and, and silly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, 100%. Yeah. So we talked about being home, from surgery, from song. Societal structures. Yes, songs you created with your kids. Yep. Um, what's something that, what's something we don't know about you? Ooh, probably a lot. But I also think when you ask that question, how much do we not know about ourselves? So like the constant discovery of like, what do we not even know about ourselves? But I, I don't know. The problem with what do people know about me and people not know about me is that I was on a reality show that I actually didn't watch. So some of those things... Did anybody know that? <laughs> so some... So some, some of y'all knew that? Some... Some of my things that I was like, oh, people wouldn't know this. And like, oh, yeah, we know that about you. Tell me about this reality show. Yeah, so my wife had a reality show. She was on Total Divas and then Total Bellas. And uh, I was featured on that. And it was not my favorite thing. Um, Why? Is it you just didn't want to... Some people... You didn't want to be involved you wanted to be out of it just let her do her own thing i don't like the attention despite okay here i am on this okay, so podcast it, 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 with spotlights and people looking at me my days are jam-packed and during the holiday season they get even busier and if you're like me you need to do what i did and get factor america's number one ready meal delivery service Factor has chef-prepared, ready-to-eat meals that get delivered straight to your door, allowing you to stay on track with your healthy lifestyle all throughout the holiday season. Factor is so easy, the meals are flavorful and have nutritional quality to keep you at your peak performance. Now, they got a plan for everyone, and if you're like me, you need a little bit more protein in your life, especially during the holiday season. I recommend Protein Plus, meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. It's not just meals. You know, you get a little bit extra. Enjoy extra convenience at any time with an assortment of 45-plus add-ons to suit your various tastes. Choose from breakfast like apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and egg and cheddar bites, potato and egg breakfast skillet, 
Now, I have a 17 year old who's six foot eight, 245 pounds, who just loves to go out of the fridge and eat these factor meals, especially after basketball practice. Factor has made it so easy for me, especially being on the road, being a professional wrestler. I can take these meals, put them in my carry on, and then when I get to the hotel, heat them up. So they've made my lifestyle easier. For a limited time, head to factormeals.com slash Hobbs50. Use the code Hobbs50, that's H-O-B-B-S-5-0 to get 50% off. That's a holiday gift itself at factormeals.com slash Hobbs50. Um, so let, let, let's pause. Let's pause. Yes. You don't, yeah. like, you don't like the attention. Yes. But we all know what you do for a living. Yes. Yes, and I try to. I huge try to, contradiction. I try to explain this to people because I grew up a shy kid, and there's still some moments where I get kind of shy, and people are like, "Oh, you do this, and you're in wrestling spandex for a living, and baby oil from all type of people." Like, explain that the difference between like being on the show and doing what you love. Yeah, so it's interesting. I. My getting into wrestling was an exploration. I had a fantastic uh, English teacher when I was in high school, both my junior and senior year. His name was Dr. Carter. Um, he had said, I didn't, I really wanted to become a wrestler. Um, if for no other reason, I grew up in a poor logging community where there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of escape velocity as far as like, okay, here are things that you can do to be what the world defines as successful or whatever it is other than like going to college and getting out of here um i had no interest in doing more schooling i couldn't even think of a job that i wanted to do so i really wanted to try being a wrestler everybody was telling me not to do it i was good at school i could have gotten a scholarship that sort of thing not scholarship for anything athletic just like hey we'll pay your tuition because you're poor and you have good grades and um but the uh but my high school english teacher and you know i had this conversation with him and he had said uh college will always be there for you he said the best thing that he ever did is he took time off after high school and went and did the peace corps and after he spent several years in the peace corps he spent some time teaching kids and all that kind of stuff and realized that was his passion and then so he said, even if you are not successful in wrestling whatsoever, you will learn things about yourself, about you, about who you are, about what you want to do, that sort of thing. And that was actually the one of some of the best advice I ever got in my young adult life. And so that's how I kind of got into it. But even getting into it, wrestling in 1999 is very different than wrestling is in uh, 2023. As a 165-pound kid, 170-pound kid, the odds of me being able to wrestle for WWF at the time or WCW at the time were very slim. Uh, my aspiration was, because uh, I really like the Canadian wrestler named Johnny Smith, um, I... Did you, did you know that at the time, that it would, that it would be difficult for you just based on your, your size? Yes. Okay, what kept you going? Uh, the idea of wrestling in Japan or the idea of wrestling in Mexico. And the idea, uh, I had read this interview from Johnny Smith that said, what I love about wrestling in Japan is I can go over there and have this level of fame, but I come back and I'm just a human. Nobody even knows who I am, right? And I loved that idea. So it's this idea of doing something you love, 
potentially getting paid for it, potentially making a living for it, but then also not being in the spotlight. And then, um, but then the economics of Japanese wrestling kind of fell through in the early 2000s where it wasn't necessarily a great place to make a living for an undersized American anymore. And then things happened and I, and, and I became what I became. <laughs> I, did, I did what I did. He blew the fuck up. Yeah. And you can, you know, and there's positives and negatives to that, you know. I was just talking when, you know, given that, you know, the idea behind this is not necessarily a wrestling podcast, but I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine um, just the other day about, okay, you think of these things in all positive terms, but my idea in wrestling was this. It was, okay, I spend this time away from my family. I put a lot of value on family, like my mom, my dad, my sister. You spend all this time away from family with the idea that when you're done, then I'll be able to get to spend all this time with my family. And then, so I did this, and then when my dad passed away in 2014, and you can't go home again, right? It's this idea of you were always going to, and when I was on the independence, and this was the hard thing about it, when I was on the independence, I'd still get to spend time with my dad because I was living in uh, Aberdeen, and like a lot of times I would do Friday, Saturday, I'd fly back to Seattle, I'd drive straight to his house, we'd watch call, or we'd watch football, we'd watch the Seahawks game, we'd watch whatever, and so we got to spend time. I started getting the concussion issues and that sort of thing, and there was this time where it's was like, okay, if I'm going to make any real money doing this to pay off my house or whatever it is, and I didn't expect to get to where I got, you know, um, it would, I'd have to kind of do it now, so I don't really want to do this, but I will do this. But there's going to be this exchange. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get my house paid off. And then when I'm done, I'll be able to go home and be with my dad and be with my mom and be with my friends and that sort of thing. And there, then this thing happens. He passes away unexpectedly. And then you can't go home again. Yeah. There, that home that felt like home is no, no longer feels like home. And so, you know, it's just... Uh, you know, there's there's blessings and curses in every in every life on this earth, and that would be. I've had so many positives, and I'm so grateful for what I've gotten. But when you look at, there's also flip sides to all of this. So I, I definitely know what you mean. We we've had a, a conversation about my mom passed away unexpectedly. Like things just don't seem the same. Like I refuse to. To go into her apartment for like six months, yeah, because I just didn't want to go. But you you mentioned something about just now about when you had the idea of you know paying off the, uh, your home and spending time with your friends. Was there ever a doubt in your mind that this may not actually work? Oh, I mean, especially early in my career, there, I was constantly. Like the idea of, it's even hard in this society to say what works and what doesn't work. I wasn't looking, I wasn't looking to get rich. I've never placed a high value on money. Um, one of the things, growing growing up poor but loved, was a real blessing to me in the sense of, I grew up without much money, and but I knew that I was loved, and 
that makes you realize, okay, up to a certain point, you need money. You need money for these things. Uh, my mom, she was working two jobs and going to school while my sister and I were going to high school. And she was out on a walk and she collapsed. Like she was just exhausted and had to be, had to uh, go to the hospital, all that kind of stuff. Anyways, I get too emotional talking about that. Uh, but, um, but, but that said, as from a child's perspective, from a high schooler's perspective, I felt loved by my parents, yeah. despite knowing that we weren't, we didn't have much money, and most of the people around me realistically didn't have much money. So you didn't feel that it's, off. It's, it's like with me, I didn't, I didn't know we were we were poor. Or we had government aid growing up. It was just how everybody. Yeah, and our community. And so, and so that said most things in life are a blessing and a curse but what it really made me think is that money for the most part as long as you have your basic needs met is not important yeah. so I wasn't doing it for like like the idea of blowing up never occurred to me the idea is how do I we get this one life we don't we don't that's the only thing that we know for sure we don't know if anything's after people have different things and I don't think any of us will ever know uh, but we get this one life. How do I experience it the best way that I possibly can? Yep. And then that's why I pursued wrestling. Is because this was a passion of mine. It may, it makes me still to this day when I think about some of my favorite moments. It makes my hair stand on end. Um, I'm so grateful for the thing. So that's the pursuit was never about blowing up big. The pursuit was about experiencing this life in its fullest. Yeah, that's deep. Damn. Damn. <laughs> um, now, the, uh, I was just talking with some of the boys in the back. I'm like, oh, you and Hobbs are going to talk about flaccid penises this whole time. Ah, I was waiting for that. <laughs> I was going to bring up, bring up that later. We'll, we'll touch on that in a minute. But are we going to touch on it? <laughs> we are going to touch on it. Uh, since, since we all knew you blew up and the accomplishments and everything you've done, was there a point where you like, you're like, fuck okay I made it and you bought a I like to call an I made a gift mm, no so I think I don't my mindset isn't working like that when I main evented Wrestlemania 30 one of the things I was most proud of was that my wife and I lived in a house that was under 1300 square feet we shared a 2010 Honda Fit um, that didn't have automatic locks. And I was very proud of that. When you think of things that you attach to as, uh, as an identity, one of the things that I was proud of was this idea that we could, we could spend more money on things that society considers fancy or considers this or that or whatever, but we choose not to because we realized that that doesn't make you happy. And so I was very, I was very proud of that. I was proud that uh, of our simple lifestyle. Like I thought, I, I, I said to, I said to Bree, I said, I don't think there's any bed, there's ever been anybody who's main evented a WrestleMania 
who has a worse car in comparison to society than we have right now. And I am so proud of that. And she, even she looks at me sometimes and is like, what is wrong with you? How, how are you? But, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, I, never, I never had that thing. I think my thing with earning money at this point is even the point of me earning money is to either provide stability for my children in their future, given the craziness of the world today, and also to be able to give back to how, how can I use this money as a tool to improve um, other situations that need improving. Um, one of my big things is like environmental stuff, but also uh, like the town I grew up in needs help and needs support. And how do we, what can I do with my resources to do that? So You're giving back to your, your community. Yeah, and, and one of the things I, I dislike is that when people, people will say something to you about that and you say that and be like, oh, that's a great, that's a great thing to do. That's so, that's so whatever it is. But it's not just like, oh, I'm just, I'm the saint, I'm Mother Teresa or whatever it is. It makes me feel good. It gives you like, when you're talking about what gives you uh, like all of this identity stuff is so weird in the sense of what inflates your ego. And sometimes I think, am I doing this for the right reason or am I doing this because it inflates my ego? And that's a, an inner battle that I fight myself as far as like... As long as it comes from the heart, man. Well, yeah, but I mean, you're still, you're still looking at, okay, doing... What are my motivations for anything? Am I doing this because because it is good? Am I doing this because it feels good to me? Am I doing this so other people think that I'm this? Or am I doing this? It, like, I think it's good to inspect all motivations with, um, but like I said, I don't know what I'm talking about, guys. Like, I, I, I just, like, I'm, we're all just trying to figure this life out and we're all trying to figure out, like, what, how do we live? How do we die? All that kind of stuff. It's good, it's good. Now, Let's touch on uh... <laughs> flaccid peanut. Yes. Okay. So. So you got to start from the beginning. Start how the how this actually came up. What are you talking about? How do flaccid penises? Uh, like just <laughs> we're, we're we're not born erect. That's like. A, I don't think. Maybe some people are. I don't know. <laughs> that, that's my favorite part of this. I, you know, if he's laughing, I think we're do, we're doing a good job. Um, I don't. There might be some medical professionals here who have experienced... Anyone in the medical field? Has anybody no. been there, like, for a live birthing experience? Do, do boys come out erect ever? Who, who is that? Who, who is that? You were a very can, can virile... Up here? You were a very new, virile <laughs> newborn. Oh. <laughs> Austin so, Gunn, everyone. Oh. <laughs> oh, that, oh, that's why. It's Austin, Austin Gunn. Gun. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like how, how did the flaccid penis talk come up? I just think, I think uh, I found it funny. You know, there's a masculine culture thing around uh, like 
sex and penis size and erections and whatever it is and like you know locker room type talk and I was like but that's not the funny part about penises the funny part about penises is like a is a flaccid penis and that nobody wants to talk about it and um, and the and there's this like it's just comical it's like I grew up because I'm a little bit older uh, with the Muppets and like Gonzo has this nose right and you're just like and and so anyways I always thought that was weird just a big blue dingy <laughs> yeah. nose and so and it's giant eyeballs that like are right here like right next to it and you're just like um, so anyways I didn't this actually wasn't a big topic of conversation when I was in WWE but one of the first things that happened when I came to AEW uh, was I got a lot of uh, oh, hello, sir. Very nice to meet you. All that kind of stuff. And that wasn't what I came here for. Like, I wasn't... I came here... came to AEW because I, like, I wanted to help. I wanted to have fun matches. But I also, like, these are the... This is the twilight of my career. And I wanted to have fun. One of the... Um, uh, Sami Zayn and I... And Sami Zayn has had this conversation with a lot of people, so it's not this intimate thing with he and I that I'm sharing that he would not like me to say, but... One of the, like, it's like having fun with the boys, like, and it's not like partying having fun, but like the fun conversations, the uniqueness of being around, having fun with the boys, it's just the best. It makes it's the like, day go by quick and everybody's laughing. It's, it's, well, and as somebody who was forced to retire for a period of time, when you're gone, you miss it. And I didn't want to be in a locker room where everybody's hello sir hello sir hello sir like for example lee moriarty i hate to pick on lee (laughs) but i don't feel like it's picking on him lee moriarty is very respectful he's a great human being he's a great wrestler he was somebody who was like oh hello sir Very, very nice to meet you all that kind of stuff and now he'll be like oh god brian are you talking about flaccid penises again? Like he's he doesn't he's like he's willing to be he's like opened up. Yeah, he's like stop. <laughs> like he's not not no not no. But it what it does is it opens it up to be we can have real conversation. It's not a it it was a tool. One, it's fun, but it's a tool to get to know people and not have them treat you with this with this idea of. I need to call you sir, or I need to, you know, any of that sort of thing. It's this idea that we can, ju- we can just have fun. Breaking eyes, having fun, talking yeah. shit. Yeah, and so, and, uh, but, like, lately, lately, I've been really steering away from the flaccid penis talk. Um, and and that's, Why? Why? that's deliberately, well, because I've already established that connection. Okay. And then, you know, they're putting me in new roles in AEW where that might not be appropriate. And so, uh, so yeah, so that's, and it's also, I also, the flaccid penis talk is for the boys. That was my intention. The flaccid penis talk is for the boys. It is not to be told to any of the women outside of the locker room. And it's like, this is for us. This is our thing. And then, but the boys can't help being the boys and then, you know, doing what they do. And then all of a sudden, you're having this conversation with women. And I, and like, that's not, 
I mean, now you're venturing on topics that are not appropriate at work sometimes, and so, so yeah. But yeah, I think I accomplished what I needed to accomplish, and now, although since I've been out with my broken arm, I have gotten multiple texts from people saying, "Man, there's a real lack of flaccid penis talk in the locker room," and so, and so that's a uh, well. When, when you when you come back in the locker room, you know that that's going to be the first thing that comes up. I mean, I was there on Wednesday, and it, it's like that was. I walked in the locker room and said, "Hey guys," and then they're like, "Yeah, flaccid penis talk has really been missing." I'm like, "Is that my legacy now? Is that?" Is that is that is that where I'm at? So. Well, if you ever write a book, you have to. You have to have a. I wrote a book. Flaccid penis. There wasn't. I don't think there was a single mess. I don't think. Maybe. I don't know. Somebody else could probably look this up. The word penis might not have ever been mentioned, which is shocking, given how my mind thinks. We may have to may have to add a chapter. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll we'll do a second edition. You should. You should. Yeah. That, that it doesn't have anything about my AEW career. It doesn't add anything to the pro wrestling spectrum. It just there's randomly inserted into various chapters my 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 remembrance of how I thought about flaccid peni at the time. So, man, you guys having fun? There we go. So, how great would it have been if they said no? I would no, been, not really. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm like. Somebody might have went through a table or something. <laughs> so, um, I want to ask you, you, you grew up with your, your mom, your dad, and your sister? Yeah, my, yeah, my mom and dad got divorced when I was, uh, it's a weird t- timeline that my mom doesn't necessarily even remember, but around like seven, eight, nine is when the actual divorce happened, but separated and, you know, divorced, so... I'm gonna ask you, what are your three favorite board games? Oh, number one is definitely Risk. Uh, I'm a master of world domination. I don't know, even when I don't intend to dominate the world, I just end up doing it, which is how I'm here in front of all of you today and why any of you would care to even listen to this, me on any podcast, uh, is because I've mastered world domination without even trying. That's how good I am at risk. And risk has taught me those valuable life lessons as, how, as, as far as how important Madagascar is in the, um, in the, world, of, in the, in the world of dominating things. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that uh, I have very negative recollections of the board game Payday. Um, there was an incident. My dad was a little under the influence of alcohol. <laughs> And um, we were playing Payday, and with us not having very much money, uh, me, my sister, and him were playing it. And he landed on like the bill pay, and he was like, he was almost out of money, and and he slammed like I slammed. This is too much like real life. And I was just, so never been a big fan of Payday or things like Monopoly, like like this, these things, these games centered on money. Um, but other than that, oh, clue! You, you seem like you would be good at Connect Four, like. I don't know, and I don't mean that like you know, like any disrespect or anything. But I just like I can just picture Brian there, just like okay, he's gonna put this piece here. Let me put that there. 
Why wouldn't you say chess? Which because is a much I, more, I, I which is a much more I've, sophisticated. I've, I've never played game. chess. I'm going off the games that you know I play. Like I didn't, right, but even I, even without playing it, you're you have an awareness I of the sophistication level of a strategic game. Like connect for like, are you good at tic tac toe? I imagine you being very good at tic tac toe. And if you get to be the first person to put an X or no, you're definitely putting it in the center. I see you being that guy. You figured that out at eight years old. It's still strategy. You you, you talked about risk. Like I, I couldn't tell you anything about risk, like or clue or what's another um, very strategic game. Well, Clue is not a strategic game. That's the mystery game, right? It's a mystery yeah. game. It's figuring things out. See, I, I didn't have time. Yeah. So I, I do, I do enjoy a good game of chess. Um, I am not as good at chess as somebody like Luchasaurus, probably, who spends hours every day on a computer learning chess. Uh, different people have things that they enjoy doing. That is not my thing. I do enjoy when I play chess. This is very consistent with my personality. I'm not playing to win. I'm playing to have fun. And one of the things I like doing is baffling my opponent by getting my king in the corner and surrounding him with, with the other pieces. And it is not a very effective strategy for winning. It is a very effective strategy for confusing people, which is at the end of the day, why I enjoy board games and risk so much. This is why risk is number one, is because of the shit talking and gloating that you can do over completely insignificant things. I just took Indonesia from you. Ha ha ha, you're a piece of shit. You're, you're dumb as, I, I don't wanna say the F word, but you, like, you know, when me and my friends are playing risk, my friend Evan, it was the, the night before he was getting married and I was one of the groomsmen in his wedding and we played Risk beforehand and I won and I talked more shit than anybody has ever talked. Did you bring it up on his wedding day? No, 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 no. I was not speaking at the wedding. I, uh, it was so weird that companies as large as AEW owned by billionaires would allow me to speak in front of people when my own friends will not allow me to speak in front of the rest of our friends at a wedding. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Man, I feel like I offended him by saying... Connect Four? Of course you offended me! How could I have not been offended by... My son plays Connect Four, and he's three years old. And it's like, the strategy for Connect Four is so basic. Okay, what about... No, no I, I probably would. I'm not even going to say the next game. I was oh, oh, you've got to say it now. I was going to say Battleship. Oh, Battleship's a good one. Yeah, Battleship's okay. Okay. Yeah, Battleship's okay. That's a. Yeah, that's a. That's a, that's not a. That's not a bad one. I've. Uh, my son has gotten very interested at three years old in Uno, the card game. I love Uno. Yeah, I love a good game of Uno, but what's particularly hard for my wife is that she sees me deliberately losing and she is somebody who will lose deliberately a couple times for our kids but also needs to win and so you gotta teach him a lesson like I play Uno with Bam Bam and he just gets 
so pissed off. Like when I hit him with the plus four, and you know, he just gets so mad. Like there's a okay. You do need to teach him a like you need to teach them how to lose gracefully. But do you really need to like? Oh, I gotta teach him a lesson. I don't. I don't know if you do. I don't know if you do. And these are questions. Like these are. I'm not saying this is a declarative statement. I am not in any way, shape, or form the perfect parent. I will give you an example where I have used wrestling techniques to discipline my daughter because I'm not like I'm not necessarily somebody who touch on that. Touch on that. Okay. Yeah. So. So. I'm going to have to put down the microphone at some point and demonstrate this technique to you. Okay. But um, there was a period of with my daughter. She's she's a great child, and we thought we were the best parents in the history of parenting because our daughter was so easy. But there was a short period of time where she was and she wasn't listening. And, and I said, "Okay, sweet girl, I'm sorry." I'm going to have to spank your hand if you keep doing this. And she kept doing it. And I said, I'm, and you know, it was like a, it was intended as an empty threat uh, because I didn't want to do it. But you have to follow through. And, uh, and so she kept doing the behavior. And so this is what I did give me your hand. Oh boy. I never ended up spanking her hand, but it's the illusion of spanking her hand. And so, uh, what what was her reaction? <laughs> and so, did you feel bad? Did your heart break? It did. It did because even though it is not, I didn't hurt her physically. Like, there's got to be some sort of emotional component there that is not healthy. <laughs> like, like even if. There is no action, and that's the thing. We sometimes, uh, when you dive into the realm of pain, pain is perception, right, um, in any regards. So if you were to ask me, and people have said this, things like this to me, uh, how did you wrestle for 10 minutes with a broken arm when he's pulling on your arm? It's because pain is perception, and uh, how did uh, how does a monk set himself on fire and stay in a, a meditative pose and all those sorts of things? So, if you can separate yourself from the sensation, you can relieve yourself of the experience of pain. Likewise, things that would not be physically painful normally can be physically painful if you perceive them to be painful. And so, uh, in an example of the opposite, I freak out every time I have to, like, draw blood or get a needle put inside of me. And I was, um, I was doing this very extensive blood exam where they were taking 17 vials of blood um, for this thing. And uh, I warned the man beforehand. I said, okay, I sweat a little bit when, uh, when blood is being drawn. And he said, yeah, that's okay. It happens all the time. Uh, so I'm there getting all these things and I'm just sweating profusely and it's all over the thing. And then at the end of it, I said, oh, 
that's a lot of sweat, but you probably get this all the time. And he goes, no, I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> and objectively, I can say it didn't hurt. What am I, what is my, what is this reaction? I don't even know. But my perception of it, if you were to tell me right now, uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, you didn't know this, but we have a blood draw at work today. I would immediately start start having to be like, I'm starting to get anxiety and now I have to meditate so that I don't be anxious all day. My, uh, my wife was there, it was before I had to have neck surgery, uh, like a, several weeks before, and uh, I was getting an MRI. And so there's MRI, and I had asked, I said, is this a contrast MRI? Contrast MRIs, they have to put like a needle, yeah, there's a needle in you here and it stays in and they, first you do the MRI, then uh, you have this thing in the whole time, then uh, they do a second MRI where the dye comes in so they can see better things. And I said, is this a contrast MRI or is this not a contrast? Oh, it's not a contrast MRI. So I'm in there and I'm waiting and uh, all of a sudden this nurse's assistant comes in and says, Okay, I'm here to put in the put in the thing, and I I said, wait what? And he he said, oh yeah, we I have to put in this thing. I said, no, you do not. And he said, yes, I do. And he was a wrestling fan, and it was so embarrassing. And so he puts it in, and I'm just sweating, and Bria's laughing, and I'm just that's cold. Yeah. Well, you get to a point. When you love somebody and you see their flaws and you know that what's happening is actually painless and she has, my wife is fantastic. And it's, you see these, you see these idiosyncrasies in, you, in the people that you love as far as like, how is this true but this is also true? How is it that you wrestled for 15 minutes with a detached retina and now you cannot take this tiny needle that doesn't even hurt. That's weird. Yeah. So, I know you got a busy day. Quickly before I let you go, what can we expect from you next? Uh, I don't know. No. Uh, that's, that's a given. That's a given. We, we. I don't know. Part of my kicking head in things it's like when i'm outside of this world where i'm getting prepared to wrestle like I, I don't even think in terms of aggression or violence or anything like that so yeah i don't know like um i'm just enjoying helping out and uh and yeah doing these doing these kinds of things is fun it's um i've gotten over the fear of being in front of people but it's something that i have to turn on and turn off right so it's like okay now i've spent my time in a spotlight and now I need to go decompress for a little bit so if you're asking me what's immediately next it's probably a nap and then uh, and then I'm gonna go enjoy some collision tonight Naps are good. well I want to thank you for being my first guest on the power hour um, you guys enjoy you guys enjoy this sweet sweet yeah well thank you very much I uh, thank you yeah I think this is this is probably gonna be a really fun podcast I didn't uh, mean to disrespect the whole connect for that so uh, if I have any influence on Tony whatsoever, you're going to get buried. I expect that.